לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. Hello and welcome to another edition of Parsha Talk. I'm Rabbi Elliot Malamek and Highland Parker, the Highland Parker Center of the Delaware Congregation of Shamed. Joining me, my good friends, Rabbi Barry J. Chesler, Flamishan Day School of Long Island, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanowski, Andre Chesler, New York City. This is our, our official last Parsha Talk of 5782. The next time we'll be Parsha Talking to you will be 57. It will be in the new year. And... Um, it's it's it, it's been a great year of Parsha talk. A great another great year through the season. We're not finished Devarim, so we're going to talk about Nitzavim, our Parsha this week, which is of course an amazing Parsha. It it doesn't lack for problems. Uh, one of which is the following. Okay, I'm going to pose this question to my my beloved colleagues here. So Atem Nitzavim Ayom Kulchem, you are standing here. This is Moses talking to Bnei Yisrael. Uh, the picture in all of our minds is that he's some on, you know, high up, maybe on the ledge of, the, of a mountain, that people are below, and they're hearing him speak, and they are present, okay? And he's just, you know, gone through this whole speech, and I can imagine, you know, people and people in front of him going... <laughs> <laughs> We've been in the synagogue business too long. Come on, come on Moses. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. <laughs> and this is the wrap-up of, of the speech. You are here today to, to go into this covenant, okay? And he mentions everybody here. From your, your um, wood uh, haulers or wood cutters to your water haulers to go into this uh, uh, to, in this covenant. And then he makes this statement, I'm not only making this covenant with you, I'm doing it for with the people who are here. The people who are standing here today, and I'm making this covenant with people who are not here. Okay. So my question to you is, this is Moab. This is where 40 years after the exodus of Egypt. Can you find the text in the book of Exodus when they receive the Torah at Mount Sinai that says that it's not with only you that we're making this covenant, but we're making with the people that are here and they're not here. So I'm, I'm, I'm cut to the chase. It never says that. It never says that at Mount Sinai, but it does say it here. And yet... We have this overwhelming idea that all Jews, everyone destined to be a member of the Jewish people, anyone who's destined to join the Jewish people in one way or another was present at Sinai. That is Midrash. That is the rabbinic mythology of Sinai. And we accept that and it's beautiful in its own way. But the Torah doesn't say that. What the Torah does say is that everybody who is destined to be to become part of this people was there. In other words, it's making a clear statement 
poetically that you and I, we were there. We were all there at Moab and not at Sinai. So, so I want to ask, does this make sense? Does this, is this a compelling reading? And if so, what does it mean? Or maybe we'll, we'll take one step back, which is, what does it mean? So you are here. The I'm doing this covenant, making this covenant with the people who are here and the people who are not here. So Barry, you, you mentioned this, that you, you taught this and, and the kids were saying, well, this so, is right. So I happen to mention this in Mignon this morning. Um, we had a few extra minutes and one of my students suggested that the people who are not here were the ancestors. Although I think most people understand it to be the descendants. But so, before you get too far afield answering the question you asked, I want to get to something that you didn't ask. And you're like that a, you're has like to a politician. You, you say what you want to say. Whatever the question is, you say what you want to say. Well, okay, so you're it. talking about the problems in Nisabib. So the, the one of the crucial problems seems to be in the words of the first verse that you glossed over, which is, Okay. You're standing here in the presence of the Lord your God. Now, the God of the Torah is more of a local than a national God, shall we say. So where is God at this moment that the people are standing in this presence? They're outside the land. And for a good part of the Torah, God's locus is the land. So what makes this the presence of God? Even Stephen, to tighten that one up, typically, Adonai Elohechem or Elohecha in Debarim especially means Makomasher, you know, the Shakin Yet it typically like, means the Beit Hamikdash, and and the, the very fact that at this climactic moment it uses that locution to not mean that, um, you know, is is like very interesting. That is a, that is a real interesting uh, quote unquote problem or food for thought. So you raise the question, which is better, Sinai or Moab? And I think that. We want to go with Moab because Moab is all about promise, right? They're right on the edge of the promised land. These are among the last words they're going to hear before they cross over. And you get that incipient excitement of about to fulfill your dream. Sinai, as we mentioned when we we're talking before the show, is not altogether a success, it is marred by the episode of the golden calf. And though the people regroup, it leaves an imprint on the people that they have to carry with them for 40 years. And perhaps by the time they get to Moab, they've been able to turn away from that. Although in this Parsha, the two things that stand out to me, are the mention of the idea of having to love God with your whole heart and your entire being, and the concern that God has with turning aside to other gods, which is what the golden calf in some ways is about. So, so th there's, there's so much to, to unpack here because, you know, what we're saying is that Sinai, you know, Sinai was a bit of a failure. The, the, Moses smashed the first set of tablets. Uh, we, we have this lingering picture of, the first set of tablets and the second set of tablets in the Aron, which is which was a remarkable, you know, idea of that you, you're carrying around your failure with you. You're carrying around the broken covenant, the broken pieces, the sacred fragments, as Professor Neil Gilman Zichrona Libracha used, you know, wrote the book about. And and um, 
that that in some ways you're remembering failure and here you're about to enter the land and and maybe that's a that's a terrible burden to have you know i'm thinking i'm thinking as a you know a person in the bible i'm not thinking as a rabbinic jew i'm thinking as okay so if if the torah is is saying for all time that you stood there you elliot malman were at moab what does that mean it means that you have to see you're not really a canadian that's right. <laughs> I'm a Jordanian. I'm a Jordanian. <laughs> you're going into the land. You're always you always have to see yourself, you know, as if you're going into land. And so so maybe, you know, the Haggadah is doing a little bit of sleight of hand on us because the Haggadah says, <laughs> We have to present ourselves, we have to imagine ourselves as if we left Egypt. But the Torah is basically saying in 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 other words. That you were the person who you stood at Moab because it says explicitly, you you know, I'm making this covenant with those who are here and those who aren't here, i.e. descendants, okay? The descendants. Everybody is here in this moment because the this action is so pivotal, it will change the course of history. Sinai, of course, changed the course of history, but in a different way in a different way I, I'm, I'm i'm struggling with this because I, I i i'm seeing that you know the rabbis did something here and they did it for a good reason they put our they 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 put the they located the origin of the the whole you know halachic system at sinai that's what that's about and that you were there you were there because you had you you affirmed the halachic system that, that but that, they they affirm a very narrow reading of Mount Sinai. Yeah, because Mount Sinai for the rabbis is only about the giving of the Torah; it's not about the aftermath. Right. So they conclude the Sinai experience before the golden calf. The Exodus experience is open ended. It's it can't really be construed as a failure in any way. Because the people get out of Egypt, and once they cross the sea, they're never to see the Egyptians again, which is convenient in the Torah. It doesn't quite work for Nevi'im and Ketuvim, where the Egyptians show up again. But be that as it may, that there's something open-ended about the Exodus experience, where we can imagine ourselves being at the Exodus because everything is in front of us. And it's about freedom. Right, and the, I mean, the Torah's view of of humanity is that a human being has to be free. Look, we we read the Kitavo last week. Kitavo, the first passage, Arami Oved Avid, doesn't even mention Sinai in it. We've, you know, we've noticed that before. It it kind of glosses over Sinai, you know. And the question as to how Sinai inhabits the biblical imagination, I mean, it, it it's there. Of course, it's it's there. Of course, there's reference to it, but. But it's it's usurped by, of course, you know the the temple and and what will happen later, um, you know, and and so the 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 question is, what's in your is like the what's the the bank you know what's in your wallet what's in your imagination you know what are you carrying around with you in your imagination, and and we have always carried around I think classically Sinai in our imagination this is but. It's always been drummed into us. 
you were all present at Sinai. I mean, there's even a dating website called, you know, saw you at Sinai, right? Because it, it's, it's a code. And you still haven't returned my call. <laughs> it's a code. It's a code that says, you know, Jews understand, oh, I met, you know, where, did I, where do I know you from? I know you from Sinai, right? So it, yeah. it would be interesting to know because it seems the emphasis on Sinai is a response to the destruction of the temple, right? The original covenant, from Exodus 6, or the divine promise, is to redeem the Jews from Egypt and bring them to the land of Israel. And as long as Jews are in the land of Israel under their own sovereignty, that's living proof of God's promise. Okay. Sinai is what happens when you can no longer live in the land under your own sovereignty. And now God's promise is the gift of Torah, which you have to study to access, and you can do that anywhere. And therefore, everyone can be at Sinai because yeah. it's a transnational experience in the sense. Sinai, Sinai is, is uh, you know, famously in the desert, right? The, the God had to give the Torah in a makom hefker, not a particular place. It's not makom l'shakensh mosham. It's not Mount Sion. There's like, the, this is John Levinson wrote this book, Sinai and Zion, right? There's the two... The two central mountains, one of which is the national uh, centerpiece, and one of them takes you outside the national centerpiece. I, I this this Moab Sinai thing works for me on a number of levels. You know, you, you said I, I'm reading this like imagining myself into the biblical story, not as a rabbinic Jew. I actually, uh, I'm going to read the biblical story here, but as a rabbinic Jew, because I think that one of the dynamics that we have is what it means to inherit a biblical, you know, heritage, to, to, to be, to be, to have the Yerusha of the Bible, um, when it, the, the miracles, the, the God very present, the God in the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud, who feeds you with manna, who's speaking to Moshe all the time, who, who's, whose presence is very accessible, this is not the God of the world that any of us live in. Like rabbinic Judaism, you know, partly in the way that Barry just said, like, we, you, can, you can go to Sinai when, when you go to your library, um, rabbinic Judaism makes that God present again, even in the absence. So I think that the, you know, if I had to be in one of the two, if I had a, a you know, an all-powerful time machine, of course, I would want to go to Sinai with Moshe Rabbeinu. But the power of this passage is Moshe saying to the people, you weren't physically there, but you were spiritually there. You're part of this covenant. It is ongoing. It's organic. It's through us. It's the people of the past, maybe as, as the Schechter student said this morning, but it's the people of the future. They're, they're present here too. And I want to point out that Moshe says something in the very, very, very stirring poetic phrase when she says, listen, this is not beyond you. Um, this is not up in heaven that you would say, who will go up to heaven and get it for us and read it to us and make us hear it? It's not across the ocean. Say, who will cross the ocean for us and bring it to us so we can hear it? very close to you, in your heart, in your mouth, so you can do it. Moshe Rabbeinu, what are his two best achievements? He goes to heaven. He gets the book. He crosses the sea. He brings the people across the sea. And and the, the biblical character of Moshe in this passage says, effectively, okay, you don't need me to do those superhuman things. In fact, you don't need anybody to do those superhuman things because your presence is is uh, you know if, if this isn't the Beit Hamikdash, um, you know Barry's question from earlier, 
What does it mean to be It would seem to say, this is very close to you in your heart, in your mouth. You can do it. That's what it is to be in the presence of God in this passage. So to me, the Arvot Moav versus Sinai, Sinai is this thing you can look back in the mythic past, but Arvot Moav is the step that you're going to have to have as you carry this thing uh, forward in your own life. And I just think that that's well, I, I think that, that I mean, that's, that's just a, an amazing, uh, you know, frame on this. And, and you know, in a way, I, it corroborates the a biblical reading that subordinates Sinai to this, right? He, if Moses himself is saying, it's not that he's negating Sinai, but he's saying, look, this is the moment now. And, 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 and what, what we have as a covenant, the way that you are to live is accessible to you. Accessible. You do not have to be scared. You do not have to be terrified of, you know, God is a consuming fire that nearly destroyed you, you know, at Sinai and many other times. It is accessible and you can live this way and you'll have a good life this way. I mean, it's, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful statement. And, he, and he's saying this is, it's, I don't want to use the word new covenant, but this is, <laughs> you said renewal of covenant. Renewed covenant. Renewed covenant. We say that this is, this is just a different moment. It's a, and it's a different moment that calls for a different kind of experience. I, and Barry, you wanted to chime in there for a second. Yeah. So what, what you're saying reminds me a lot of Martin Buber, who one can say wanted people to find the joy and the divinity of everyday living. Right, Sinai was, we were talking earlier, was a supernatural experience. If you read the Torah reasonably carefully, a lot of, you know, it's a big sound of light show, lots of thunder and lightning. You know, it's reminiscent of a volcano. And it's a spectacle. And you don't have to go find a spectacle in order to find God. God is right here. That's the and point. God is what you're doing every day. You're not going to look for God. You're, you want to live with God. And that's really what Devarim is. In a sense, that's what Moab is about as well. That we're not doing anything out of the ordinary. We're poised to do what is actually quite ordinary. So I want to cross the river. Just a, another layer to this, which is that that maybe if we just set aside the beautiful mythology that we were all present at Sinai and say that it was only that generation that was present at Sinai, that makes them, you know, quasi the greatest generation, okay? That makes them a generation that had this unique set of experiences that no one else can have, that they were selected for, that, that all generations that will come later will will try and imagine and try to apprehend, but will in no way ever totally comprehend that experience. And, and that's just left to them. And, th and that make, that's what it means to be a founder. And that we have to you know, accept a kind of discrimination of history that some generations are called to this kind of quote unquote greatness and some generations are called to their task, great or not, but their task is not the founding task, right? So you can only have one set of founders, right? Israel has one set of its founding generation. America has one set of its founding. There was only one group of people who were in Independence Hall and wrote the Constitution or the Constitution Hall, right? So in that sense, Moses is the grandfather. He's the last link he is the to last. that one generation. Right. 
from Egypt. And then there's Kalev and Yehoshua, who are a generation older than everyone else. They're the ones who left Egypt after 20, apparently close to 40, um, from the later biblical tradition. And they're older than everyone else because they're the only two people who were older than 20 who were able to enter the land. That's interesting. Yeah. They left Egypt. So they've said they're saying their last goodbye to Grandpa Moses, as it were. And they're going to walk with Joshua and Kalev into the promised land. Okay. And that greatest generation is now almost ready to give over to the new generation. Oh, the you know, we're, we, we're recording this in the day after the, the queen's funeral. And we talked about the queen last week. But but in a certain sense, in, in mythological terms, she represented the link to the greatest generation in, 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 in that royal leadership symbolic exemplar way and that part of the experience of the loss is that we no longer feel that we have any moorings despite the fact that there are you know still many many you know thousands of of members of that generation still alive they're well into their 90s and god bless them all but she was the last you know symbolic uh, figure of that generation you know the woman who you know shook hands with churchill the woman who you know whose grand great grandmother was Victor, i mean all that the, the so so here you know we have a a a new generation the generation that's going into the land and there's no more of the old generation and and i can't help but but think that in terms of the generational dynamics uh, that's going on moses is the is the last he's the last you know the le in the she's the lester of the I mean there's Kalev and Yoshua they are the some bridge but they're nowhere near Moses is Moses right Moses is the is the personal link and 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 that's what just makes this all the more you know poignant emotional it, this is these are his last words you know? and this, so this this way this is really what you know is one of the things which grounds why I feel so strongly about the power of this parasha, because it is addressing itself uh, not to those people, but to the people who are going to have to go on and be much more, as you said, much more ordinary. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think the manna is, is uh, it's not really mentioned in our parasha, but the when they get the manna back in Exodus chapter, I think 16 is when it first shows up, or 17, um, and it says that they will eat the manna until they come to the settled land. And then in Joshua in chapter five or six or whatever, it's the Haftarah for the first day of Pesach. Um, he says, okay, then the manna stopped and they started farming. And so we among, among the things that we are right at the edge of is the extraordinary, like this angelic food versus this like utterly human experience. And Moshe is that, you know, we're at the pivot point. We're walking through the doorway and turning from, you know, the the Torah's the Torah's description of this great 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 generation to you know everybody else you and me and we're going to have to make it work. Okay, so his last words to the people are really important, and and I mean you know he's going to he has plenty of epilogue to come yet, the blessings and and a whole poem etc. But but I think you know we can we can locate here the last basic frame of the Torah here, and, and you quoted it a little bit before, which is, uh, 
Haidoti vachem hayom at hashemayim et aretz. So I call heaven and earth to witness. Hachayim v'amavin atati lefanecha. I've placed before you life and death. Habracha v'aklala the blessing and the curse. Uvacharta v'chayim. You mm-hmm. choose life so that you will live you and your children and then to love the Lord your God to listen to his voice and to cleave to him for he is your life and the length of your days as you dwell on the land that God has promised to your fathers Abraham, Isaac and Jacob to give to them so this is this is really the the final statement the 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 coda statement. We're going to have, you know, P.S. You know, we have some more. But this yeah, we got we got two big poems. But this is the this is it. This is the end of Moshe speaking as you know in his function as Moshe Rabbeinu in his function of this this preaching. You know, this long this is the Deuteronomy. By the way, we pointed this out back in Parshat Re'eh that this was the 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 open parentheses. Yes. He says, "Listen, I place before you, you know, uh, I place before you." You know, good and evil, life and death, and then all this other stuff has happened, and now the close parentheses, and he's ending up the speech and says, and therefore, life, life. It's, 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 it's a it's a perfect like just compositionally. I mean, a lot of stuff has happened, and and there's a lot of laws that came in the middle, but rhetorically, compositionally, Moses has given us a very long but well constructed speech building to this moment that says, listen, folks, you you gotta you gotta live. But you got you don't just live automatically. You got to choose life and figure out you know the, the meaning of your of your behaviors and your orientations and your spiritual aspirations. Choose life. So so he's really saying here that that life is a set of crossroads for you. You're going to have to make these choices all the time. At least you know our the the layer of interpretation that we put on this is you know what does it mean to choose life? What you know that's that's those are pretty heavy words. You know choose life, choose life, choose, and and you know. Often, when when I've preached on the, these verses, these words, I say to people, you know, there's some people that that have to make that choice every day. It's just life is just so hard for them that getting up in the morning is choosing life. That that you know, putting one foot in front of the other, just the determination. You know, some of us don't realize how much determination it is to just say, I I gotta I gotta go on, I gotta go on, because sometimes life can be so so unbearably cruel to people and so unbearably unfair you know and and we could give all sorts of illustrations of that but but i look to these words and think you know this is this is this is really what it is this is you know sum it up we've summed it up this way this is be be a blessing be holy choose life and you know go study of course but this is also like go give it your best give you know try hard it's hard life is hard but choose it because look what's the alternative death is the alternative well actually i would i would say that i i think that this is obviously we've talked about this many times in in both parstock context and personal context and camp context is is that there's so many ways in which this is true we we know that people especially in these last few years that we've spoken about deaths of despair and alcoholism and drug abuse and depression and suicide attempts and all these things that's real and there's for those things and i really think that almost everything valuable requires choices on a regular basis absolutely you know, um 
you know, your choice to to be a person of, of chesed, a person of, of virtue, a person who cares for others, a person who loves others, uh, you know, this stuff just doesn't happen automatically, actually. Uh, to, to, to be a stand-up person um, for life's virtues, for things that we can take to be, you know, socially, social, socially just, um, socially kind, that stuff doesn't happen by accident. And, you know, frankly, I think uh, you, you can be inured and you can be hardened and you can just ignore those things. But if you think of yourself as standing at crossroads, you do have to look, look, you know, like you Some got people this. may be endowed with just a sunnier disposition in life. Maybe they don't have the same genetic darkness that that some others may have. But 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 you know, I I think you're you're onto it. Which is, it's it can be very difficult. You can have these choice fatigue, decision fatigue, to to be constantly making, it. and you can say that's it. You know, I I I I. I remember you know individuals you know and this is um individuals at the end of their lives who who you know make the choice of no more treatment for example right now would you say that a no more treatment i'm done i'm you know i'm i'm whatever 90 years old and 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 i i've been diagnosed with with inoperable whatever and they want to give me chemotherapy and i'm just saying i'm done done okay and so would you say that's not choosing life do you have to you know and so it's that becomes a different kind of question which is i'm choosing the quality of life i'm choosing i'm choosing well yeah go ahead so i would draw attention to the last verse of the parsha um where it says you have to love god and you have to listen to his voice and you have to cleave to him because that is your life so the person at the end of their life who is turning down treatment can do these other three things. Absolutely. And then they're choosing life, even though it's going to result in death, because it's not life for its own sake. It's life in service to God. Right. And, and, and I think. True. Yeah. Good. No, go ahead. It's also true. You know, this is like everything, everything complicated, everything that's got a, a poetic dimension. You know, it's usually not a one or a zero, right? Um, if it, you know, one of the, th one of the things it was recently an article, um, about, you know, physicians suicide in Canada, where there was this case of this guy who basically was depressed. He wasn't physically ill. And there in, in uh, Belgium and Netherlands and Canada, there's like a concern that there's a rather slippery slope from I'm in unbearable pain in which any feeling person would say, yeah, we got to find a way to alleviate your unbearable pain. To I'm worried that I'm going to be a burden to my children. To I'm just depressed, or I don't really have any friends who are taking care of me. I, I am worried about slippery slopes in that way, and I do think society as a whole needs to have an ethic of being pro-life. Now, of course, in America, when you talk about choosing life, it, it inserts you into um, a whole other debate, a little debate about abortion. I think we should be pro-life in as many ways as we possibly can. We should try to. To support life, um, I, I would no 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 decent human being is is unfeeling to the prospect of somebody's unbearable pain. But when you said about the uh, I'm 90 years old, I don't need another round of chemo. Um, 
I also think that greeting death with dignity, absolutely, it, it, that's a value too. That's a really good and thing. That's also a choosing of life. It's not choosing death. It's choosing. I said this is. I'm choosing life the way I want to choose life. I'm choosing the 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 time that I have left to live as fully as possible because I know I'll be diminished and I'll know I know that that I will deplete it, be depleted by this. I don't want it. I want I want what I can what I can assert over now, right? And it's I'm not choosing assisted suicide, you know, I'm I'm choosing to live with with dignity and quality and love and my and the and and whatever clarity of mind I could have at that point. I mean, it's it's you know, I want to go back to what you said, Barry, and and and, and we're you know we're just a, a half a minute over here, but so this this does make a bracket to to the entire Torah, right? This summons back up Garden of Eden. This summons up, and and maybe the message is you know in Becharta Vechayim, it's like choose the path to life, and the path to life is Torah. And and you know what's the what's the thread that that links us back to creation here? What the There's the Eitz Hachayim. God said, God said at the very, very beginning of this thing, this whole long book, <laughs> how many chapters ago? God said, Well, listen, um, I have to expel them from the garden because then they would they would take the fruit, the chaylet olam, and they would live forever. So I'm going to throw them out and I'm going to put the 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 kruvim on the derech etzachayim, lishmor derech etzachayim, to guard the path to the tree of life. It seems like pshat. The um, the meaning of to guard the tree, way of the tree of life means to keep the people away because they've just been banished. But maybe in a between the lines way, it means to keep the path to the tree of life open because the Torah is going to end by saying choose life, choose life, choose the Torah, choose this way. What a way to go in! Very nicely said. A a the celebration of life. Now we're we're you know just going to pivot two seconds to Rosh Hashanah because we won't have a parsha talk before Rosh Hashanah. But uh, this is what it's all about, eh? <laughs> God desires life. I mean, that's just, you know, that's what God wants. God wants life, you know, full life. Life, you know, in relationship, life in community, life together with God, and life, of course, in Torah. Torah, which, which as you can see, gives us a lot of life here. So... We are saying to everybody, first, have a beautiful, beautiful Shabbat. Last Shabbat of 5782. And let's be the first on the Parsha Talk here to wish all of our viewers and listeners a beautiful 5783. Thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to seeing you in the next year. 5783, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.